0: Taking a move that I make, I give it everything I got Cause that what it takes, I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave, the soul of a legend with the will to be great Hold up Welcome! <laughs> the Supreme Court has spoken What the hell do we have to say about it? I'm going to tell you what I have to say about it. Stephen A. Smith show coming at you on my vacation. Yes. And I can't wait. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this special edition of the Stephen A. Smith show. I know it is a Friday that you are watching this and I'm usually on the air every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. But on this particular day, obviously, I wasn't expected to be here because I have been on vacation all week. Certain things are necessary to come off vacation for, though, and this is one of them. Before I get into why that is, we're here in our studio, thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith show. I'm here because of a ruling that took place yesterday. I'm here because the Supreme Court of the United States of America, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, found it unconstitutional to consider race. In university admissions any longer, eliminating the principal tool the nation's most selective schools have used to diversify its campuses. Those are the words of the Wall Street Journal that I was just reading from. And I'm pretty pissed off about it. I really, really am. But it's not for the reasons some of you would think. You've got a 6-3 ruling. That's fine. Predictable. I remember Sandra Day O'Connor, if I remember correctly, former Supreme Court Justice speaking decades ago, talking about how affirmative action ultimately uh, would reach its conclusion in approximately the next 25 years or so. Back then, they were hinting um, at the end of affirmative action. This is not necessarily that because this is only as it pertains to college admissions, although I think this is the first step of many to come to eradicate affirmative action in all its forms. I'm sure that's the agenda of many, many folks, particularly and specifically on the conservative side. Again, I'm not pissed off about that. It's very, very predictable. And those who are different than African-Americans in this country have a right to feel differently, I suppose. But when you look at the decision, what really, really vexes me to no end is the rationale and the reasoning behind it. See when we look at the Supreme Court justice and we look at a 6-3 majority we all knew that the conservatives were going to be uh they're going to vote on that side. We knew that Clarence Thomas would make sure his voice was heard. Quiet for the first 12 to 15 years of his time on the bench. I mean, the bottom line it's it's a miracle to hear him speak some of the times, but he spoke vehemently and vociferously about this particular situation and I'll quote him in just a few minutes. Of course, Amy Coney Barrett uh uh, Judge Gorsuch, uh, of course, brought Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, they joined the rest of the conservatives, Chief Justice Thomas and others um, in voting in this direction. Uh, the dissenting opinions, the liberals, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, of course, Elena Kagan, um, Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, We all know that they voted with their dissenting opinions in favor of maintaining the status quo in college admissions. And before I get into my point, let me make sure I I exhibit and express a level of sensitivity. You have folks from the Asian-American community who obviously are happy with this decision because we're hearing an inordinate amount of stories about how they have been discriminated against. Fine. As far as I'm concerned, if you're a black person, you're African-American in this country, you shouldn't support discrimination in any form. And anybody who's claiming to be discriminated against, you should applaud that situation being addressed because we don't support discrimination against anybody. At least we should not. Fair enough. Fair enough. And anybody else who's deemed to be a minority in this country, particularly from the Hispanic population and beyond, who feel discriminated against because of affirmative action rulings or admissions where the color of your skin gets taken into consideration. Although it's not the only consideration, it's one of many considerations. If you want to lean on that and you want to say that, fine, fine. Here's where I get ticked off. I get ticked off. That white America gets to sit back and act like they're innocent in all of the things that have been transpiring to the point where it ignited their furor to such a degree that they felt the need to oppose such things. The iniquities that have taken place in this country against minority communities, who exacted that? Who displayed that? Who exercised those actions? Who were the instigators and and perpetrators of all of that? Who was that exactly? Wasn't that white America? I think it was. I'm pretty damn sure it was. We could go to slavery. We could go to Jim Crow laws. We could go to the fact that those things that were exacted against African Americans in this country was the cause of affirmative action coming into play to begin with. We just going to sit there and ignore that, huh? See, this is where I lose it. Because that's the part that I think people are missing in all of this. I won't even get too deep into the fact that black folks ain't even the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action. And I understand we're talking about one component of affirmative affirmative action, which is college admissions. But I'm getting to the broader scope of affirmative action because folks want to sit up there and say, we don't need race-based Decisions and policies being implemented in our country. It's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. Well, why were they implemented to begin with? Because of what was unfair to the African American community in this country. And so, what has happened in the time that has spanned over the last 40 plus, 50 plus years? Other groups have joined in to the fray and they pointed out how they've been discriminated against. Therefore, the government of the United States of America, specifically the Supreme Court, gets to lean on the 14th Amendment and its specifications not to discriminate against race. And they say, wait a minute, they've been discriminated against. We've got to cut this out. It's not fair. Then they made sure to cover themselves. In case y'all missed it. Because they talked about how While race, meaning the color of one's skin, one's race uh, should no longer play a role in deciding or determining whether one is admitted into a college or not. You can take people's situations, even those contaminated by racial strife into consideration. So if you come from an impoverished background, if you've struggled, if you're a member of the desolate and disenfranchised, that can be taken into consideration. Your life experiences can be taken into consideration. They said all of those things and they did it to cover themselves. So please be clear, ladies and gentlemen, from a legal perspective, I'm in no position to argue with the Supreme Court of the United States. Number one, I'm not qualified as a justice of the United States or even somebody in the lower courts to do that. I'm not a judge. I'm not a law expert. So reading the 14th Amendment, seeing the verbiage in the 14th Amendment, understanding that race and discrimination that takes place because of it should play no role in American society. I can understand the courts making a decision it being supported by legalese because if you're Asian American or an Hispanic person who had a perfect score on your SATs and couldn't get entry into a a renowned university because of a candidate that was deemed not up to your standards, not up to your level of excellence, whether it's via SAT scores or whatever the case may be, The Supreme Court's obligation is to make sure they address that. I got that. But that's not telling the whole story. And that's why Stephen A. came off vacation. I don't have to go back to slavery. I don't even have to go back to Jim Crow laws. I will for the sole express purposes of highlighting that that was the reason affirmative action was instituted to begin with. It's because of the iniquities and the unfair treatment and the inequality that was exercised by a white community against minority communities throughout this country. So how do you get to sit there with a straight face, with a smile on your face, acting like, oh, my God, we're no longer victimized after you spent centuries. And then decades in the aftermath of all of that, victimizing those folks. Who look different than you and were clearly outnumbered by you. The nerve. The absolute nerve. And that's what ticks me off because that gets bypassed, but it ain't getting bypassed today. It's not happening today because that's what people need to be speaking out about. I'm not going to sit here for you and say to you, oh, my Lord, my goodness, we need to march on the streets of Washington, D.C. or march in the nation's capital because, my God, they say, you know what? Race shouldn't be considered for college admissions. I don't like it. I think in certain situations it should be considered. And I think that when you think about people from disenfranchised and desolate communities, and you think about the challenges they face. I do think those things should get taken into consideration, but the court said it will and still can be taken into consideration. So I'm not going to waste my time arguing about it. If they sat up there and said, you don't take backgrounds into consideration, you don't take somebody coming from the gutter, striving, scratching and clawing and struggling their way just to get to an even playing field. And you don't take that into consideration. That would be a different argument. They said, no, they're not saying that you just can't look at the color of somebody's skin and say, Hey, Hey, You should have an edge over somebody who isn't black because there are poor white people. There are poor Asian Americans. There are poor Hispanics and there are affluent blacks. And if you are affluent and you come from a different kind of background, then that has to be taken into consideration. I get it. But it doesn't absolve y'all asses. And I'm not talking about every white folks and I'm not talking about white folks that I'm looking at today. I'm talking about the history of white America. I'm talking about the systemic oppression that has been exercised against minority communities throughout this country that gave you an advantage. That led to you having better jobs, led to you living in better households, led to you having a more fluent lifestyle. You didn't use an even playing field to get the edge you got. So how do you then get to turn around and celebrate like you've been victimized? Because you've eradicated the ability of others from a minority community to potentially position themselves to have any kind of advantage. The nerve, the absolute nerve. And you know something? What really, really makes it worse is I, without question, Clarence Thomas. See, I out his bio here. Born in Pinpoint, Georgia. Father abandoned the family, he was raised by a grandfather um, in a poor Gula community near Savannah. Devout Catholic. Originally intended to be a priest. Actually, didn't decide to be, decided not to be that, by the way, because he became frustrated over the church's insufficient attempt to combat racism. Ended up attending Yale Law School via affirmative action. He attended law school. He was an affirmative action student. Gets better. Appointed by Ronald Reagan as chairman of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This man once oversaw the EEOC. The very job he held was to address racial inequality in this country. This is the position this man was in. Ultimately, nominated by George H.W. Bush, United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in 1990. And after 19 months there. He made it to the Supreme Court. Second black in the history of the Supreme Court. His predecessor was the great Thurgood Marshall. And we all know his impeccable reputation. And how much he cared about his own. Now, I'm not going to sit up here. I could easily go into Clarence Thomas just based on his resume and go to hell off. But I'd rather lose you some other stuff that I have here because there's some things that he had to say that I just found utterly ridiculous. I mean, when you listen to some of his opinions, it's grotesque. It truly, truly is. And I think Dr. Michael Eric Dyson put it best. He said, this is the face of a man who climbed the ladder of affirmative action to his present perch of power only to help destroy the very ladder on which he ascended. This is not only the mark of deep ingratitude and disavowal of history, but a withering betrayal of justice and democracy. Essentially, You used affirmative action to climb the ladder that you climbed to success. And then did everything you could to knock it down so nobody else could come up the same way you did. That is Clarence Thomas. I don't think there's any other way to slice that. I really, really don't. But that's just the beginning. Like I said, there's so much more to get into. Because let me tell y'all something right now. This is just step one. They're coming to do more. Clarence Thomas himself warned you about that. Gay marriage, Roe v. Wade already. There's more that's coming. You better buckle up. This is just the beginning. And it plays a role. As to why I'm not too phased by this. I saw it coming all along. And I see what's coming down the road. If you don't know, stick around. I'll let you know in a second. You're listening live to Stephen A. On the Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? One of the things that I've paid attention to um, a lot over the last 24 hours, I'm listening to what people say and I'm noticing their reaction. I'm paying attention, I'm absorbing it all. I really, really am because I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary to point out, and I have to admit, if I'm being completely honest, uh, as disgusted as I as I am with Clarence Thomas, it's 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 more because of the utter nerve that he has to say some of the things that he has said. But his rulings don't surprise me; they're very predictable. You know exactly what direction that he's going to go in, and that's what he stands on. So be it. When I think about affirmative action. <clears throat> I think about the fact that white women have been the biggest benefactors of affirmative action. I don't care what anybody says. And I had somebody yesterday ask me the question, how do we know that's for sure? It's very, very simple. They classified themselves as a minority at one time. And as a result, there were jobs. There were opportunities that they were positioned to receive because they were classified as a minority. I'm not hating on it. Incredibly capable white women everywhere, black women everywhere, women, period. I'm simply talking about how people utilize the laws to their advantage. I've also been on the record talking about how racism has fallen to the bottom of the food chain. It doesn't matter nearly as much anymore as xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia. Black folks in the United States of America, with all the noise and all the bloviating about racism, have been forced to watch that issue get usurped by a plethora of other issues in this country. I'm not saying those people don't have valid points. Your life is your life and what matters to you matters to you. And it's important. I'm a black man. Racism matters to me. If you're homosexual, homophobia should matter to you. If you're an immigrant, xenophobia should matter to you. If you're a transgender individual, transphobia should matter to you. I am a black man. Racism matters to me. And I ain't apologizing for it to anybody. But I understand it and I get it. It's just sad that when we see America up in arms, acting as if, oh my God, look at what is happening about time because so many of us has been hurt. I'm still trying to figure out how white folks have been hurt. Like Chris Rock said during his comedy special, okay? And I wish I had it up right now for you. I'd show it to you. Chris Rock said it best. During the insurrection in 2021 on January 6th, white folks, Bombarded and raided and rampaged the U.S. Capitol trying to overthrow a government that they run. It's unbelievable how some people have been walking the streets over the last 24 hours acting like, oh, my God, finally, we've been we've you you know, this has been overturned. We've been so hurt by this, so hurt by it. How? Former President Donald Trump. This is a great day for America, Trump wrote on his truth social media. We're going back to all merit base, and that's the way it should be. Really? Really? So, white folks have been suffering under meritless. Circumstances. Does that in any way compare to what black folks have been dealing with? What Hispanic folks have been dealing with? In any way. In any way. Really? This is what folks are trying to convince you of. And that's why I'm telling you to pay attention. Pay attention to what the hell is going on. See, I got numbers here. Midterm elections. You know, I was looking for the percentage of black turnout. You know, in 2022 midterms, 42%. That was black, turner, black voter turnout. That 42% was a 10% drop, nearly 10% drop. It was 51.7% in 2018. In the midterms, according to the Washington Post analysis of the Census Bureau's turnout survey, white voter turnout slipped by only one point five points to fifty three point four percent. The eleven point turnout gap between white and black voters is the largest in any presidential or midterm election since at least the year 2000. That's the other reason I'm pissed off. Because the reality of the situation, ladies and gentlemen, is that black folks, we can't be absolved for the circumstances that exist. Did not former President Obama continuously tell people, don't boo, vote, don't cheer, vote, 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 go to the polls. He didn't say presidential elections and stop there. He didn't say senatorial elections. He didn't say congressional elections. He talked about mayors. He talked about DAs, attorney generals, governors, state senators, state representatives. He talked about all of that. Why? Because they play a role in appointing local judges. State judges who become federal judges who ultimately get on the Supreme Court. There's a 6-3 conservative majority. Who the hell didn't know what the conservatives were going to do? You didn't know they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade. You didn't know they were coming to address affirmative action. You don't know they're eventually going to address gay marriage. You don't know that they're eventually going to address the borders. You didn't know all of this. Of course you knew. But people choose to be. A bit apprehensive and as a result, a bit lazy. And then you find yourself in a situation that guess what? It's a 6-3 majority in the highest court in the land. And oh, by the way, it ain't just folks whose lives are being affected every day that come from deprived, depraved and impoverished communities. There was a Supreme Court justice named Ruth Bader Ginsburg. God rest us soul. She knew she was ill. She knew that she wasn't completely healthy. She knew that Obama wanted her to retire, so she could ultimate, so he could ultimately appoint her successor. What did she say? She wanted to be appointed to the courts by his successor. She thought it was going to be Hillary Rodham Clinton. She assumed. Now these, according to numerous reports. I can't find a specific quote where they said that, but I found I found numerous people who said that she said that in the end, the bottom line was clear. Obama wanted to appoint someone. She didn't want it to be him. She wanted it to be Hillary Rodham Clinton because she thought Hillary was going to be Trump. She assumed. Just like Democrats. React in the moment and assume a lot of things while Republicans, particularly conservatives, are plotting for decades. This has been in the works since the 70s. If not earlier. They've been coming. And I say they because I'm thinking about the extreme. There have been Republican courts that have that, uh, that have upheld affirmative action policies. Remember, the Warren court was from 53 to 69. That's the last time there was a liberal majority in the Supreme Court ever since then. Albeit narrow, there's been a conservative majority in the court for over the last 50 years. 55 and counting to be exact. Or nearly 55, I'm sorry. And it was upheld because even you had even some Republicans that said it's the right thing to do because history taught us. There was unfair and inequitable treatment. Afforded to the minority, specifically the black community in this country, and something needed to be done to write the ship to some degree or even the playing skills. Now, some would argue you don't fight discrimination with additional discrimination and the fear minded amongst us understand that. And even President Obama himself said, and I'm looking for the quote here because I want to make sure that I'm right on point with what the man had to say. He talked about how. Like any policy, affirmative action was not perfect. But it allowed generations of students like Michelle and me to prove we belonged. Now it's up to all of us to give young people the opportunities they deserve and help students everywhere benefit from new perspectives. That's Obama's way of telling you the fight is on. What you going to do about it? Because I got news for you. They're showing you what they're doing about it. When are you going to wake up? Ain't too many people going to feel sorry for you. And I'm talking about us. And I'm telling you right now, I'm appalled by the decision because of the insensitivity it wreaks. Not the law. The law, it makes sense. You read the 14th Amendment. There's a legitimate argument by the conservatives to make that point. But in spirit, a lot is missing. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the soul of this nation. And by the way, I ain't trying to quote Joe Biden. I'm just speaking towards reality, what we're seeing, what we're witnessing, what we're experiencing. I mean, damn. What's it going to take for us to wake up and activate ourselves to fend off this onslaught that clearly is coming in our direction? It's not just coming in the liberals direction. It's not just coming in the woke culture's direction. It's also coming in the direction of independents like myself and even some Republicans, because you got others who are extreme that don't give a damn. They're looking at the country that we're living in right now and they're saying we got to take it back. And if it has to get back to the days where stuff damn near resembles Jim Crow laws, so be it because we got to fight fire with fire. I'm not going to accuse any good, decent, God-fearing American, white, black, or otherwise of literally wanting that. I'm saying that to fend off what they deem to be extremes coming from the left, They're willing to go as far as they're willing to go to put a stop to it. Are you paying attention now? Or are you just going to sit idly by and let it all happen? Before you answer that question in the crevices of your soul, I want to read what Clarence Thomas had to say. Reading from an article on CNN, he said, even in the segregated South where I grew up, individuals were not the sum of their skin color. Obviously there are many people who would disagree with him about that, but I'll continue. He says, quote, while I am am painfully aware of the social and economic ravages which have befallen my race and all who suffer discrimination, I hold out enduring hope that this country will live up to its principles so clearly enunciated in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States that all men are created equal, are equal citizens and must be treated equally before the law. What's been the problem? Minorities in this country have been complaining about forever. It doesn't appear to be that damn equal. Those are words in the Constitution. It also said black folks, black men were three-fifths of a man. Women got the right to vote in the 20s. The 20s. Not in the 18th, 17th century. The 20s, 1920s. Black folks didn't get their civil rights until the 60s. But I go a step further. Because obviously Katanji Brown Jackson, she went off, she had to recuse herself uh, from the Harvard case because obviously she attended school there but she still offered the dissenting opinion based on UNC's uh, decision. She writes, Justice Thomas ignites too many more straw men in the list or fully extinguish here. The takeaway is that those who demand that no one think about race, a classic pink elephant paradox, refuse to see much less solve for the elephant in the room, the race-linked disparities that continue to impede achievement of our great nation's full potential. In her broader dissent, Jackson said that the argument made by the challenges that affirmative action programs are unfair blinks both history and reality in ways too numerous to count. But the response is simple. Our country has never been colorblind. And she's right. Our country has never been colorblind. A matter of fact, the first suspicious thing white folks can say to any black person in America outside of Clarence Thomas. Is that they don't see color. Message to white America no black person except Clarence Thomas and maybe a few others. Most black people do not believe that. You know why? Because we can't fathom it. I might not have any problem with people around me right now who are white at all, but I know they're white. I know this. It's not a crime for me to notice. I don't think negatively of them because they are white, but to say that I don't notice their color is ridiculous. We automatically think that's a lie when that's said to us. Automatically. But Thomas came right back at Justice Jackson with this opinion name, you know, really going at her. As she sees things, we are inexorably trapped in a fundamentally racist society with the original sin of slavery and historical subjugation of Black Americans still determining our lives today. Worse still, Justice Jackson uses her broad observations about statistical relationships between race and select measures of health, wealth, and well-being to label all Blacks as victims. Her desire to do so is unfathomable to me. I'll give Justice Thomas credit for this. All of us are not victims. Perpetrated by the actions of others. Sometimes we do victimize ourselves. I give Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina credit, presidential candidate, when he pointed out you can achieve things in America that appear to be unachievable in other places throughout this country. Fair enough. I'm not going to be blind to that. But to act like race has no factor, plays no factor, no role in the kind of things that transpire in our society. Just because This is no longer the Jim Crow South just because this isn't slavery. Just because this isn't pre-civil rights. It's tone deaf. Or selectively oblivious because it no longer applies to you. I'm a black man. I'm a graduate of an HBCU, Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina. I didn't have to go to Harvard or Yale or Stanford. Hell, I probably wouldn't have been. I know I definitely wouldn't have been qualified to go to any of those places. How am I doing? I'm one of those people that believes black folks don't need those institutions in order to succeed. Especially in this day and age with the advent of social media and the kind of things that you can do as an entrepreneur to create opportunities for yourself and for many others. We don't need, yeah, we don't need Harvard. We don't need Stanford or Cal Berkeley or anybody else. We'll be just fine. I believe that. So I'm not going to summarily dismiss your opinion, but I'll tell you this. you kind of didn't know I'd make it this far, did you? You didn't know that a guy like Thurgood Marshall would do what he did coming from Howard. You didn't know about so many prestigious Affluent, well-accomplished black folks would be able to succeed going at HBCUs and other, predom- and predominantly white institutions, not named Hale, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, or anybody else. But we did it anyway. It doesn't eradicate or omit or, your intent and in what you're trying to accomplish. You think you're the victim. That's what this is about and you're trying to put a stop to it all that perfectly explains why Trump is still relevant It's why he came out with that quote because he knew y'all buy it hook line and sinker I know. That's why I got even more to say. But after this break, you're listening to The Stephen A. Smith Show. Back to close it out in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith's show. By the way, of course, Michelle Obama, the great Michelle Obama was going to be heard on this matter. She says, so often we just accept that money, power, and privilege are perfectly justifiable forms of affirmative action. Obviously, she's saying it requires a lot more than that. And of course, um, she is absolutely right. Um, just looking at the history of affirmative action, just to get into something before I close the show out today. September 24th, 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson issued Executive Order 11246, which prohibited employment discrimination based on race, color, and religion by organizations receiving federal contracts and subcontracts. Soon, colleges voluntarily adopted similar policies to combat racial discrimination and accept more students of color who had historically been excluded from colleges and universities. In 1969, many elite universities admitted more than twice as many Black students as they had the year before, why would I bring that up because you notice how institutions of higher learning coincide with corporate America, right? Because in most instances, it helps that you have a degree. It helps that you have an education because you know what it means, right? Education basically means you're trainable. you can read, you can write, you can comprehend. okay From that point forward, ladies and gentlemen, it's up people in positions of influence and power to be receptive to embracing whomever they choose. And if you don't have folks in a position to get a higher education or to get to the prestigious institutions that position you for posh positions, you're not in a position to help diversify, which leaves you at the the mercy of those in power who are usually white. And when that's the case, we're really back to old times. You see the correlation? Why does Stephen A pay so much attention to corporate America? Because I follow the dollars, baby. I didn't say chase the dollar. I said, follow the dollar. Because when you follow the dollar, you understand why decisions are made to begin with. And you don't only understand why those decisions are made in the moments that they're made. You understand why decisions are made prior. When Sandra Day O'Connor alluded to and left the door open for the eradication of affirmative action more than 25 years ago. Or around 25 years ago. Well, why does she do that? because even people who supported it knew that it had an extinction attached to it. It wouldn't be last. It wouldn't last forever. The purpose was to give the impression that sure, we're about fair and equitable treatment under the laws of our land, but it doesn't take into account the subjectivity angle that enters the fray. So many other elements come into the equation. How hard do you work? How well do you speak? Do you dress right? Are you willing to work with people? Do you come across angry? Do you smile enough? Are you a conversationalist? Do you engage in dialogue? Are you a people person? All of these things come into play. Notice how subjective they are. Why do we need laws? We need laws to minimize the level of subjectivity that can be implemented. That folks can utilize to their advantage without having to worry about repercussions or ramifications. When you take away something like this and it's not race-based, that's a form of discrimination that's no longer going to be presentable in a court of law. You do understand that, right? You do understand that a ruling by the Supreme Court essentially eradicates the notion of racial discrimination because race is no longer something that needs to be considered. So how can you feign discrimination? See how it works? Step one, step 10 down the line. You never saw it coming. You never saw it coming. This is the world that we live in. And for you extreme conservatives out there, this is Stephen A. I actually approve of some conservative policies. That's why I'm a registered independent. I believe that nobody should walk home with less than 50% of their money. You shouldn't have to pay more than 50% in taxes when you take into account federal and state and fight and social security and all of these other things. Damn it, you should walk home with 50% of your money. I'm liberal with practically everything else. Live and let live. Homosexual, your business. Transgender, your business. You're an immigrant. Come to this country legally. I'm going to put your ass to the back of the line. I ain't going to push you out of the country, but you're going to get your ass to the back of the line. Oh, Yes. I ain't going to be on a ride at Great Adventure, standing in line for three hours to get on a ride. And right when I'm ready to hop on a ride, somebody jumps in front of me that never stood on line. Get your behind in the back of the line. In favor of those who were in line legally first. That's me. But I want you here. I'm a black man. I ain't trying to ostracize against anybody. I know what it's like to be feeling disenfranchised, to be disenfranchised and to feel ostracized and to have prejudice against me. I know what that's like. Don't like it, don't approve of it, don't support it. All true. But it doesn't mean that rules and regulations don't come along with the fray. And the fact of the matter is, when you eradicate or omit some of those rules, some of those laws that were in place, It's just another chip that gets to get circumvented. Today is college admissions. Tomorrow is corporate America. Good luck if you feel racially discriminated against following the lawsuit. Chances are you ain't going to have too much support. You ain't going to win that. It's coming. Buckle up, it's coming. But getting back to what I was saying. Because here's some of the latest polling on affirmative action and the consideration of race in college admissions. Most of the surveys support banning consideration of race in college admissions. In a poll taken in mid-June, 70% uh, 70 majority of Americans say the Supreme Court should rule that colleges are not allowed to consider race in admissions, with just 30% saying that the court should rule that colleges are allowed to continue considering race. So 70 to 30, that's what they're saying. It's outnumbered in favor of the Supreme Court's decision yesterday. It says supports for colleges giving consideration to race and ethnicity is high among Democrats and independents, 54% approved, 29% disapproved. Black Americans, 47% approved, 29% disapproved. Among white Americans, 29% approved, 57% disapprove of affirmative action. And Republicans, 14% approved, 74% disapproved. The vast majority of Americans in this country don't support affirmative action. What's the reason for that? I'll tell you what the reason for that is. In the late 1990s, reading from research here, a network of affirmative action, of of anti-affirmative action organizations got together to orchestrate a challenge to affirmative action in the courts. These organizations investigated colleges and universities across the country to identify affirmative action policies they could legally challenge. They also actively recruited white students who they claim may have been denied college admission based off base because of race based affirmative action to participate as plaintiffs in their lawsuits against these schools. It was not a coincidence that the individuals they ultimately chose for their lawsuits were all white women. This is from research by focusing on race based. Rather than gender based policies, anti-affirmative action contingencies were able to ignite a politics of white grievance that allied white women with white men against affirmative action. Because even though white women were held back again, weren't allowed to vote till the 1920s. Okay, our country centuries old, centuries old, 1776. But they weren't allowed to vote until the 1920s. White men will hold the white women back. That's true. And then obviously, once affirmative action came into play and white women were allowed to classify themselves as minorities. Opportunities in colleges presented themselves and ultimately corporate America. And now they're paid more than black men and black women. That's a fact. Now, for those that would sit up there and say, Stephen A, who the hell are you to talk? It's the dumbest argument on the planet. Yes, I'm getting paid. No doubt about it. Yes, I earned it. But there's a whole bunch of black people who haven't been as fortunate as me. What kind of man would I be? What kind of black person would I be? If I forgot that just because I'm doing all right. And by the way, we don't even want to get into my struggles and what I've had to go through to get to where I am and how I didn't really start getting paid until I was 49 years old. We had to go through all of that. We don't have to go through the fact that I was never great in school. And yes, I was born and I had undiagnosed dyslexia and I got left back in the fourth grade and all that other stuff. You want me to tell you one of the other reasons why I struggled in school? Because I had holes in my roof. And rats and roaches running around. And I was freezing. And I was running the streets to get away from home. And I wasn't sitting down studying. I didn't have an after school program. I didn't have a tutor. I couldn't afford a private or a chartered school. So many times you look at black folks and you thinking about, oh my goodness, they're not smart enough, they're not smart enough. I believe black folks have shown you their brilliance. Time and time and time again. You put adverse circumstances in front of our face, we adapt, we rise, we conquer. We're not the only ones. Hispanics do it. Asians do it. Asians Americans do it. Native Americans do it. Indians do it. White Americans do it because some of you grow up poor too. I'm not leaving anybody out. I'm simply saying that when you come from a desolate or impoverished background. Maybe, just maybe, you don't have the highest SAT scores. Maybe, just maybe, you don't do as well in school. Maybe, just maybe, you don't come across as intelligent on paper as some of your competitors because you're not studying at all. You're preoccupied with survival. Maybe that's the reason. I'm fully aware that some of you out there don't give a shit about what I just said. I told it to you anyway. Because it's the truth. But I also said it for another reason. Because those negatively affected by the Supreme Court's decision just the other day Buckle up. More stuff is coming. You better be ready. Because if you're not. More sufferings on the way. Former colleague and friend of mine. Jamel Hill. Put out an interesting quote on Twitter. Thursday. She said 34% of Harvard students are white. Forty three percent of those students are either legacies, children of faculty, kin of donors or a recruited athlete. Seventy five percent of them would not have gotten in if not for special status. And then she quotes that is according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. We understand that. We know she's not lying. We know what times we're living in. The conservative courts got America yesterday. Because the 14th Amendment says what it says. And although there can be dissenting opinions, there is no doubt that the decision that they made was lawful. So from a legal perspective, You don't fight discrimination with discrimination. That is a a salient argument. But it didn't stop affirmative action from being instituted in the first place. Do you know why? Because the actions of this country were so egregious that even those whose ancestors were the ones are grieving, felt compelled to do something about it. The fact that this decision was made is their way of saying, we think we've done enough now. It's time to get back to our definition a fair and equitable treatment under the law. And if you stand by, you say nothing, you do nothing about it, then you deserve what we get. Because the last thing I want to hear is what Hillary Rodham Clinton said When she figuratively speaking threw up her arms while conceding, she had lost the 2016 election. I tried my best. I did all I could. That was someone who was ready to fight. And yeah, we showed up and she won the popular vote. But we didn't do what it takes to assure that she wins. The Electoral College decided that. She played checks, chess, checkers rather. Trump played chess. Are we going to be the same as we were in 2016? Or are we going to do something different? Inquiring minds want to know. This is not about a particular candidate. There are several Republicans that would not have gone along with this decision. They just don't happen to be on the Supreme court. And whose fault is that? Think about it. I'll see you in a few days until then. Peace and love.